Welcome to the Red Hand Podcast and Happy New Year to all the listeners. I want to take this opportunity to thank all who listen, read and contribute and join in the chat and debate about all things Ulster Rugby. It really is hugely appreciated. The Red Hand is the most popular, and in my humble opinion anyway, the best Ulster Rugby podcast out there. We have another big year ahead, so please join us on this uh, this journey that we've been on for a few years. So anyway, the Red Hand's trajectory is an arrow pointing upwards, but Ulster's trajectory is currently uncertain, to put it very kindly. It has been a tough few weeks. Ulster are in the midst of a crisis. Indeed, I think it was uh, Tony McWhorter said we are on the brink of freefall. Um We'll we'll not we'll not ham it up too much just yet. We'll uh we'll, we'll discuss this now. The dust has settled in that last game, but the game on Sunday, if you didn't see it, finished fifteen fourteen as Munster sealed a dramatic win on New Year's Day in Belfast. So it was a late Ben Healy try and conversion uh, that completed the remarkable comeback after Ulster went in at halftime up nine nil. Dan McFarland after the game lambasted his side saying. We were terrible. It's a big issue. I'm very concerned, which isn't the most reassuring uh, statement from a coach after a defeat like that. So Ulster basically stopped playing and full credit the Munster. They took full advantage. We don't want to. We've got a Munster fan with us today. and We don't want to uh, do them a disservice because they did very well, came back into the game. Dan himself is now under some pressure. Dan has been an unbelievable coach for Ulster. And I think we can all uh, agree how good he's been. Uh, but now he's desperately searching for answers to questions that didn't exist a month ago when Ulster were riding high and up at halftime to Leinster. Think back to those happy times, uh, but the world around Dan and for Ulster has come crashing down since. So anyway, enough of me yammering on. On this episode, we'll be talking about Ulster's capitulation on Sunday and indeed in the last month or so and what they can do to sort it out as we look ahead to Benetton and the Champions Cup fixtures in the coming weeks. So I'm joined by an unbelievable panel with Nathan Jones, Jack Fogarty, Keelan Scully and Paul McIntyre to discuss. So I want to start with basically an overview and no better man to do that than Nathan. So Nathan, as the only one of us, so we've got a few Ulster fans on here, we've got a Munster fan has snuck into the chat as well, but as the only one of us without a dog in this fight, can you sum up what you made of the game at the weekend? It's a strange one, because for a game that was decided with the last kick, I came away from it thinking, be pretty underwhelmed, I think. I think as a quality and standard of game, and look, this might be, I was working on Sunday night and working both of those matches, uh, both Interpros, and look, this might be the fact that the, the Leinster-Connacht game immediately afterwards was quite high quality, quite competitive for 65 minutes, um, two teams playing some really skilled rugby. Uh, and attacking rugby and high scoring that might have tainted my view of what came from before that but it it was just it was the Ulster game Munster game was it was it was error strewn it was I think both sides for the majority of the game lacked a bit of attacking creativity and cutting edge um it was ill-disciplined I mean Ulster didn't have to do anything to get that nine point lead uh they just kind of coasted in at, at, in a half time with with Munster gifting them chance after chance um I thought Ulster deserve a lot of credit for their defence either side of half time. There was that massive to stand just before the break that kept Munster off the scoreboard. Um, so I think defensively for 70 minutes, Ulster were excellent, um, albeit at the other end of the park when their mall didn't get going. A lot of people made a lot of the fact that Jean Klein was picked and that was with the Ulster's mall in mind and that looked to work. 
Um, and Ulster looked a bit blunt when their more on the 22 didn't work. Now, Stu McCluskey threw a, a fantastic uh, left-to-right ball for, for Balakun, 30 metres plus, for the score eventually. Um, I think you can probably blame Pat Campbell's defensive reads for that more than any, anything else, but it was they, they took that chance when it came, but the defence in the last 10 minutes just kind of capitulated. Munster had two decent attacks the whole game. One of them got a Ben Healy penalty and the other one got the Ben Healy try. Um, and I know we're going to talk about all that those things and Jack Crowley's break, etc. Um, for that, but yeah, I just thought it was both sides lacked a bit of quality. Uh, both sides were disciplined. Um, and if Ulster kind of just couldn't defend for the full eighty minutes, and that cost them. Yeah, yeah. No, it was. It wasn't a great game to watch. Uh, as they're live, and we'll talk a wee bit about the atmosphere and sort of the vibe at Ulster. But um, I want to ask Jack now. Uh, how predictable was this from Ulster? So that sort of falling apart. Uh, whenever we went 9-0 up, was there any sense of confidence or did you think Ulster would throw this uh, game away? Yeah, so watching it, I thought that, a bit like Nathan was saying there, it wasn't the uh, best quality of game, but I thought that, um, you know, we were a little bit uh, kind of blunt, like he's saying, we didn't have really that, that kind of cutting edge, but I thought that they were being fairly pragmatic. They were taking their points, 9-0 up, you know, scoring a bit uh free from from sort of monster um monster didn't really show an awful lot in that game for like we said you know 70 odd minutes so you kind of thought to yourself well Austria haven't played great but I don't think they they didn't have to play great to actually win that game and they just missed out in the last you know the last couple of minutes when there's a little bit of a gap and uh I think we were all a little bit upset after the game we thought oh how did they throw this how did they throw this away they how could you possibly throw away a you know a nine point lead after you've scored in the you know 67th 68th minute to you know to actually get into a position to win it so they were actually in a pretty decent position and you know ordinarily maybe we would have thought well maybe they would have just slowly sort of died away and slipped away and monster just came back and, and won it like they did but in actual fact you know, I went back and, and watched the last sort of ten or fifteen minutes, and I thought, you know what, they've defended pretty well here, and like they 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 did pretty much just what you'd expect. They they kicked from nine a lot, which we'll probably get onto in a bit more. But uh, there's a few instances in the last ten minutes where it's it's literally like a 50-50. Jacob Stockdale almost takes a high ball. Jacob Stockdale almost intercepts a ball to go fifty meters like he normally does, but he's been he's been injured. He's not been that full pelt. So you know, I watched it back and I thought, you know what. Monster deserve a lot of credit. They they just kind of dug away and did what Monster do, and they and they just crawled and crawled and crawled, and and they just didn't make a mistake in that last sort of uh, five or six minutes. Um, that eventually told, but Ulster were pretty close. I wouldn't be too despondent, but uh, it was certainly a position that we shouldn't have thrown away, I guess. So that's the that's the frustration. So I wasn't I was fairly comfortable, but unfortunately, uh, it didn't where it didn't work out. Yeah, well, you you've brought some sort of much needed level headedness. I have to say, I was I was more <laughs> more reactionary and and more. I wasn't like that at the time, though, Peter. <laughs> uh... I I haven't fully recovered or uh, settled down since that loss. I I think it's a, an accumulation of recent weeks that has. Uh, I, I'm I'm fed up, and I think uh, I get the impression Dan and a lot of the players are fed up as well, but. Uh, there is, there's a, a monster person has snuck in. I mentioned that to this conversation. <laughs> now we're delighted to have Kaelin with us. Try not to rub it in too much, Kaelin. But from a monster perspective, tell us, do you think this is a game monster won or Ulster lost? And by that, of course, I mean, well, monster basically handed this game on a plate, or was it just how 
poorly Ulster finished? Or how much credit do you think Munster deserves? What I'm trying to say. I, I think there's probably a bit of a, a bit of what the lads had said. It was a poor game. It was a poor quality for for seventy minutes, and then Munster did what Munster have done for twenty years, and they got a win that they probably didn't deserve. But at the same time, I didn't get a chance to watch it all back. I watched snippets of it back, and I don't know if it was a complete snatch and grab that the Mun- that Munster fans like me wanted to say that it was in terms of neither team were great. You know, Ulster could well have pushed on and it, like it's small margins because Jack Crowley missed a touchline conversion to beat Ulster in Thornton Park. Nathan Doak missed a touchline conversion in this game that would have completely seeded, sawed off at 11-point game. And that's that's what it comes down to, really. That's what the Interpros come down to. Like, was I impressed with Munster's performance for 70 minutes? No. Was I impressed with the last 10 minutes? Yeah. Um... I think, you know, the way that Jack Crowley and Ben Healy and, and Conor Murray as well, it should be said, grabbed that game by the scruff of the neck at the end is great to see. But we did, I felt personally that we had let a result go. So not necessarily win the game because I didn't think that we would win, but we let a chance to get a point up in Belfast go when Balakin scored and we got that back rather fortunately in, in some ways. But listen, this is... This is huge for our season. We'll probably talk about Ulster season and Munster season later on, but this is a huge scalp for Munster. And I think Graham Rountree, he can be really proud of his players. He says time and time again, I love it, but he can be proud of the way that they dug deep because at the end of the day, Munster have lost two games or three games since they played um, Ulster last time in Thoman Park to Ulster, Toulouse and Leinster. Three quality outfits and losing every single one of them by a score. Munster are a long way from a finished article, but they're they're turning things around slowly. And these are the wins you need when you're starting to turn a corner. You need to just get a win that you mightn't deserve, that you might need to grind it out. And it it could be crucial for us come the end of the season. I I, I think it will be. Yeah, well, let's not forget. So that was basically Ulster's strongest team on paper. Okay, there's a couple of injuries, but it really was about the strongest team uh, you could put out almost. Um, Munster had, were missing a few of their more experienced guys. It wasn't quite second string, but it was uh, it wasn't by any means their strongest team. So it's not to not to be underestimated that that result. As you say, look, they're probably a bit off where they need to be. And uh, we can talk we, but you can maybe give us some advice. I know Munster didn't have the best start of the season, but ha- as you say, slowly turning it around and um, fair play to them. But Paul. Um, Welcome to the podcast for a start and talk us through a few of the key turning points or decisive moments in that game. Yeah, yeah, a great time to have me on for my first podcast appearance and I saw doom and gloom and the crowds were gallering. Yeah, yeah well, well Marty Murr's departure on the half hour was a big loss. Uh, you've seen that there from the next scrum. Munster won a penalty and that allowed them back into the game at that point. Uh, but saying that also did very, very well to, to hold them out. Um, but say the first half for, for all the possession and territory Ulster had it didn't create anything so that's a concern um, there, there was also a bit of a change of tack of going for uh, the post of the penalties you know, normally we've seen over the past we'll say a year and a half two years also just no hesitation straight to the corner get them all going so I don't know whether that's just showing Munster maybe too much respect or maybe or maybe there's a confidence issue within the camp you know when you're coming off a run you just maybe Henderson maybe thought We'll take it safe here. Three very kickable penalties, which Cooney slaughtered over, you know, convincingly. Um, second half, you know, when they 
Munster came out at the start of the second half that looked looked strong, but again, they held them out. You thought, God, maybe something's going to happen here. They got the, the try, fair enough, also were down a man, but when the, for the first time in the game, uh, they built a few faces, faces showed a bit of cohesion, and Balcon scored a magnificent try, which we're all used to seeing, and you thought, God, they should really kick on here. But um, for some reason, it got more of a spark from Munster, and Munster looked very dangerous in the last 10 minutes. They just ran at Ulster, and they looked like scoring a try from anywhere. In fact, Mike Healy was just superb. He was probably the only player in the pitch for a bit of footwork that really, on the, the Ulster back line, just really struggled in that uh, end. Yeah, no, absolutely. And look, it was, as I say, full credit to Munster for that last 10 minutes. Ne- neither side, look, to be honest, it wasn't a good game and the atmosphere wasn't good. You, you were there, Paul, weren't you? And yeah, that, very, yeah. And what did you what did you make of that? Just sort of uh, flat. I was over at the other side. Do you think you you were the grandstand, weren't you? As a terrace, but um, where the rail fans sit. No, he's okay. But uh, <laughs> but um, what would you say about the atmosphere? Yeah, it's been very flat. Uh, it's been like that all season, unfortunately. Yeah, and it was a full house. You know, we think New Year's uh, New Year's Day game. You're playing monster of all sides, uh, and we just. Coming back off a, a hard-earned one against Connacht, and um, it was just very flat for some reason. I yeah. come to mind. I think Toulouse at home in Europe last year has been the only real home game of the past number of years where it's been a proper great atmosphere. It's yeah. funny. It's funny you say that. I was just about to pop in. I've been the last the last time I was up there. Um, I was working that game, and that was yeah. something else. Um, I know obviously Dupont got that late last try, but yeah. for. 75 minutes that was one of the better atmospheres i've seen so i'm surprised to hear that it's it's gone downhill yeah i don't know it might, it might be based on performances do you know people only get behind the side if there's a performance whereas you sort of need it to work the other way and sort of act as that 16th to use a cliche 16th man get to get people going i think genuinely that's where the home advantage comes in you need it to be an intimidating place and it once was uh, that's what i remember people hated coming to ravenhill back in the day I think it's the name. No, I don't really. But it's like it's it's uh, it's it, it's genuinely it's it's not a good atmosphere, and there's not uh, and that extends, I think, to, to from what I can tell to the to the camp, you know. But um, so Nathan, I want to turn to you, and I want to ask that question, which is an important one because it's uh, provoked some debate during the week. There, uh, to what extent are the players to blame for this disappointing performance and the sort of poor run of form? That, we've been having at Ulster and to what extent are the coaching staff to blame? Well, I guess it, it depends on what do you see the problem overall as? Like, is this a psychological problem, which we've kind of talked about for Ulster for a while now, like you mentioned that to lose game, that was a pretty big uh, psychological blow when they played some really good rugby over two legs and, and, and lost last uh, late, it, you know, it's happened in previous years in, in the URC as well. Um, and if it's psychological, you know, you're tempted to give the players a bit of leeway because how they're prepped psychologically is kind of that's what coaches are there for. Um, you would think it's a psychological issue because McFarland, as we I'm sure we're going to talk about, changed tack and decided to go blow dryer after the game, um, in the hope of sparking something something different. Um, but at the same time, players are the ones on the pitch, and it's so it's 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 really difficult to know. Um, I think if you're going to blame the players, you're going to blame leadership. Um, you know, are you going to pl- try and figure out how did Ulster see out that game? Um, you know, it was asked on on the forum uh, about kicking the ball away a lot during en- the end game, and 
that's one of those tactics that when it works well, it's it's clever. And when it doesn't, it's, it's negative and inviting pressure and, and that pressure tells. So, you know, we've said it for a long time. I've also got enough quality in their decision makers on the pitch at, at nine and 10, you know, with Cooney, they probably have done for a long time. Um, has Doak struggled a few times in, in recent weeks? And and do you need to see more from, from Billy Burns in that leadership role? It's, it's not really how Ulster go about things. Um, You know, you look at successful teams in the country at the minute, it's it's the tens and, you know, the outhouse, it's it's Crowley down in Munster and Sexton and, and Ross Byrne in, in Leinster who are driving culture and game plans and stuff. So, look, it's it's a bit of both, which is kind of sitting on the fence a little bit. Um. I wouldn't necessarily be coming down like a ton of bricks and saying McFarland out. I wouldn't be, but equally I wouldn't be, you know, tearing the players a new one. I would look at leadership on the pitch. And I suppose if that's still a question, which it has been for a while now, then that's something that hasn't been dealt with off the pitch. So again, you know, the, the blame is definitely, it goes around. Yeah, very measured, Nathan, as usual. Uh, I I think I'm just used to, like, and I know you're in the, in the lots of sports yourself. I'm a big football fan. And I think, I've got used to the idea of managers and the pattern, the very familiar pattern that happens when managers are under pressure. At first, they blame the ref, the circumstances, the weather, whatever they can. And then they start to blame the players. And then it becomes obvious that there's an issue with uh, the dressing room and their leadership and authority over the dressing room. And that's when the, their time is up. It's not necessarily up. I, I get that sense of inevitability. We're talking before that Dan McFarland has time left on his contract. Indeed, I think he has over two years left on his contract. Um, and uh, it would cost a lot if Ulster wanted to uh, to let him go. Um, but um, And there are rumours as well. And these are, take these with a pinch of salt, but... There are rumours that he's being looked at as part of a shortlist. Um, and we were talking about this before recording. For the Leicester job, Steve Borthwick is, I think, part of that sort of committee looking for a uh, replacement. Does anyone want to comment on that at all? Again, I, I sort of heard it in passing. Well, I think to pinch of salt, I think you got to look at where it's come from. It's come from Bernard Jackman on the 42s podcast and Birch doesn't get a lot wrong. He didn't say McFarland was going, but he said he's being looked at. So, you know, you can have six lads in a shortlist, so take that what you will. But I, I would take that as, you know, not that there's an option there, but that, you know, there's, there are conversations being had. And, and that 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 makes things interesting because I think that makes it a hell of a lot less likely that they'll sack him if they think that they can get a release clause for him. But that said, I don't think his job is under pressure necessarily yet. Because uh, I think the one thing I would say about this capitulation, this is very early in the year for an Ulster capitulation. You know, last year it was it was Toulouse late on in in Europe, and then it was the semi final down in South Africa. Uh, Ulster still have time to to pull to 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 ride the ship. You know, they probably still will get to a URC playoff, and if they if they are lucky, get a home draw for the first round. So this season's not gone, and McFarland is a good coach. So you know, that's the only thing I would say about this. But in terms of the rumor, yeah, I, I think if if that's coming from someone like Jackman, I I 100 believe it. Yeah, so Dan McFarland, uh, 100% a great, great coach. There's no doubt about it. And look, uh, that that doesn't preclude coaches from uh, getting the most out of the team that they can, bringing them forward, which he has done, and then moving on. Don't get me wrong, they shouldn't get rid of him now. They should wait until the summer and assess things. Um, but they they do need to start looking around if that's going to be a, an option. So they, they, they need to start putting it in place measures and contingencies if the rest of the season doesn't go well, uh, do I think he'll move on? I don't think Petrie will will sack McFarland at any stage. I think McFarland runs the show at Ulster. 
Um, but that's just my opinion. Um, in terms of uh, Jack, if you want to weigh in on this, um, Ulster appeared to lack that direction, leadership, and the game management has been poor and is probably getting progressively worse. Is there a sense, or do you get a sense that McFarland has lost the dressing room? So, if you ask me about half an hour after the Monster game, I'd say, oh yeah, this is not uh, this is not very good. Hearing the hearing the coach kind of say this about the players and stuff, and just sort of lay into them, and you just think to yourself, a bit like what you were saying about other sports and stuff, you think that you you know protect them a bit more and publicly maybe come out and say, you know, we we got some things wrong, but we're playing a good monster side. All the sort of, you know, classic, you know, cover up kind of things just to buy yourself a bit of time, like like you say, not get on the bad side of the team or the players or the management or or, you know, everyone else. I think that overall, I think we should contextualize the last sort of six games, although we've won one of them, uh, or five games, but Anyway, yeah, we uh, you know we've we've lost against good opposition. So you know the losses came in Europe, sailed our shell game against Leinster. You know, just just contextualize it again. It's it's Leinster. They're gonna come out and they're gonna they're gonna play well. So a loss, a lo- well, we got a losing bonus point out of that. So it's not too 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 bad. But I guess it is the it is the game management that is the uh, problem. I think I think leadership's not that big of an issue but i think it's a, a tactical problem and i don't know if any of the lads have uh ideas on this but i think it's a it's a lack of you know when we have um when we have a game plan that works for us for you know 65 70 minutes but then we're up by a score maybe two then you're inviting pressure onto onto yourself if you're just playing the same game plan you need to have different ideas and different sort of strengths that you can go to one of the things that that we've touched on is you know, kicking through nine and you don't get enough distance through your kicks um, via via nine. You know, Jacob Stockdale only kicked um, a handful of times, but he made over 123 metres, I think it was, when he was kicking. You know, John Cooney and, and, and Nathan Doak are kicking these all the time and, and those shallow box kicks, if you don't get them right and if you don't, you know, either disrupt or uh, regather, then you're inviting pressure because the, the opposition are on your halfway line. They're not down in their uh, 22 or they're not, you know, thinking, is there any space I can attack when they maybe they kick it out on the full. So you're not asking the opposition any, uh, you know, any real kind of questions in that matter, because that's exactly what they want in that scenario, in my opinion. So in my opinion, it's a little bit of, you know, communication and leadership and direction, but it comes from where you are in that particular game. So if you're up by 40, well, you know, you just crack on and, and play the same way. But when you're up by 11, maybe nine, you know, it's it's very different. And I think they were actually closer than 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 we think uh, in that monster game. And it could have it could have uh, you know a decision here and there. The refereeing, you know, I thought Andy Brace had a very good game, but could have given maybe a couple of decisions in in the last sort of 10 minutes, and that would have you know that would have won you the game. But um, I don't think he's I don't think he's gone too too far, um, Dan. I think as well he's just potentially just being very honest and maybe we should appreciate that. So um, I see that the players are, are busting a gut. So uh, I'm not too, too concerned, but uh, yeah. I'm not sure if anyone else feels the same way. Yeah. It's just funny though. I, I, Dan McFarlane after the game said, it looks like the players don't care. And then he called himself and says, Oh, I, I know they do care, but uh, they look like they don't care, which yeah. I, I did. I didn't like that. And, 
Um, I think you can say whatever. I, I, I appreciate the, the point about honesty and, and being honest about the performance and, and whatever, but um, I think as a coach, a good coach, you have to protect your players because if yeah. you, you, you very quickly uh, sort of manifest the atmosphere whenever you articulate it in the way McFarland did and basically said, we're in crisis. I don't, something has gone horribly wrong and I don't know what the answer is. <laughs> the players will hear that and go, it's not well, good. That's not good. The authority's no. gone. Now, I don't want to be too dramatic about that, but yeah. I, I, I want to look for sort of practical answers. And, and Paul, I'll turn to you for those. And what changes do you think Ulster can make that will help them out of this poor run of form? So is it positional? Is it personnel changes? Is it tactics? What do you think? Well, this is it. I think just go, go back here to the Dan, change attack there again. He's throwing the ball at the players now. He's looking for a reaction. He's tried to bring else the past number of weeks. We've blamed travel. We've blamed playing Leinster because they're Leinster. Uh, we've blamed La Rochelle because it was in the Aviva. <laughs> um, so he's trying something different. And we'll, we'll see on Saturday if uh, if he does get the reaction from the players. Uh, what did he change? I, I don't think there's no need to be jumping on a panic button just yet. Uh, but they just need the one. Just I think they will dig it out on Saturday. But what? Just go back to basics. That just go back again to the try that they scored against uh, Munster on Sunday. It was the only time in the game that they actually built a few phases. Should it be the cohesion and just get that fluency back and build a few phases, earn the right to go wide, and get McCluskey running again, get James Hume the ball, who's had a really disappointing season. I know he's had his injury issues, but get them on the ball, get them, get them running at them again at the opposition again, and yeah. because we've got. We've got a backline that everybody else, you know, they they rant and rave about the the, the options that have also have it and the backs. We just they need the uh, just as I say, it's hard to put your finger on it. What's wrong with it? Yeah, if you don't, uh, if you don't mind me, just jump oh, yeah, in jump here in. for a second yeah. because one one of the things that you mentioned there is about how you know we actually made a few good sort of a uh, few good phases and, and got get got the ball wide. Um, if you, if you didn't if you didn't know, guess how many carries Dwayne Vermeulen made in that game? Does anyone know? No. He made two carries in the entire game from Dwayne Vermeulen. I know he's not sort of it's not his game though anymore, is it? No, but if you look at the he's a defensive the, breakdown and lineout specialist these days. Like that's yeah. that, that's his game. But in terms of what we have as a as a as a as a as a club, we had Greg Jones and Sean Raphael in the back row. They're not very large fellas. They're not Kieran mm-hmm. Treadwell and, and Ian Henderson. But even if you look at if you look at that, you say, okay, well, two carries, fair enough, Grant, whatever. That's his that's his role. If you look at you know what uh, Monster did, you know they have about one, two, three, four, five, six of their forwards that carried over ten times. Alex Kandelan and Gavin Coombs carried over twenty, and that's just it. Just doesn't obviously they had a lot more of the ball and made us make a lot of tackles. But when I look at that, I think. We're not we're not sharing out the the sort of the, you can't expect Tom Stewart Tom Stewart carried for fifteen times you can't just expect Tom Stewart to carry every single time and make and make yards for seventy odd minutes so it's got to come is that from selection or is it players aren't empowered to when the selection combination doesn't work to full strength players aren't empowered either they're not empowered or they're not used to making those decisions from themselves but someone like Dwayne Vermeulen should be empowered to yeah. say I'm going to be the main ball carrier today. Yeah, because we've kind of we've hinted at it before. Like Ulster system doesn't encourage guys to go outside the box a little bit. We've said it a thousand times about Bob yeah. Alexander coming off his wing. Like 
in open play. So is that a system error or is that a recruitment because they picked for, they paid Vermeulen to be a ball carrier when he's at the end of his career and he's not? Like what what what's going on there? Mm. Do you- I think it's I think it's a bit of a problem that we've had for a couple of seasons now because I remember when we had um, Marcel Cotier for a while, we just give the ball to Marcel and that was it. So everyone just thought, and we had guys like you know, Matty Ray is a massive frustration of mine because he's a guy who just looks like he could be absolutely mean when he carries, and um, and he just he just stands next to a guy like. Hello, the Red Hand listeners. This is Jonathan Moore from SS Moore Sports in Belfast. We're just opposite the front door of the City Hall onto Chester Street, where we've been since 1950. We, again, like most other years, carry a full range of the Ulster rugby product. We do hoodies, tees, polos, jackets, gilets, scarves, hats, luggage. We do adults and kids. And that can be seen in store or online at ssmsports.co.uk. Hope to see you guys soon. And don't forget, shop local. The Red Hand is proudly partnered with Shredded Juice Bar, a fantastic local business based on Belfast's bustling Lisburn Road. Shredded Juice Bar stocks a range of fresh, healthy, wholesome and delicious foods and drinks. Fresh juices, smoothies, SIE bowls, protein pots, overnight oats, protein balls, salads and wraps. You can tailor our menu to your needs. Everything is served just the way you like it. We're all about feel-good food. Come and give us a try. We know you'll love it. We're open seven days a week. That shredded juice bar on the Lisburn Road in Belfast. We look forward to seeing you soon. William Carlyle Coaching. Helping yo-yo dieters stop living their life on a diet and achieve long-lasting fat loss results. We've helped hundreds of dieters ditch the strict, boring and bland diets whilst losing 15 pounds minimum in 90 days. This is all done with the Fit for Life Transformation Program. It's the counterintuitive approach to weight loss and will change your life forever. If you want to know more, grab your phone or pen and paper to write down my social accounts. On Instagram, it's at William Carlyle Coaching. On Facebook, it's just William Carlyle. If you'd be interested in learning more, drop me a message and let's chat. Marcel Cotillo or a guy like Ian Henderson and he doesn't impose himself he doesn't you know you know have that you know conviction confidence maybe um but I think it's I think it's a real issue because we either we either go to the mall um and the mall doesn't work and then we give it to Jim McCluskey well guess guess what guys everyone knows we're going to do that and we just need a little bit more variation because you can't just have one out runners against more likes of monster you know, Leinster, Sale, La Rochelle, it's not going to work. Yeah. That sounds like a culture issue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the paradox with Ulster, that's a very good point, Jack, and thanks for those stats. I love, love, love a few stats. And the paradox yeah. with, with Ulster is that um, the, the, the stat that I have uh, in front of me here is Ulster have kept the ball within 10 metres of the breakdown on over 65% of their phases this season. It's the highest of any team in the URC. In other words, they're incredibly compact. They're incredibly narrow. The paradoxical part of it is they don't have any good heavy ball carriers in close quarters. So they're trying something. They're either giving it to Stu, as you say, who's who's um, trucking it up, but they don't have the personnel capable. Or as you say, Nathan, that may be unfair. Maybe it's that they're not given the freedom and they're encouraged to do that enough. And 
Um, I don't know. I don't know which of those is um, the case, but like, I think you look at guys like Matty Ray, even Greg Jones, who always puts in a shift. Do you know, Greg Jones turns up and he works his heart out, but um, in terms of ball carrying, he's not He's not going to be the answer. So, And even look beyond that, you're, you're looking at... Um, uh, we need. We seriously need Nick Timoney back. Is is the, the answer? Nick Timoney is uh, an exceptional carrier, but you need to share the load. Um, even looking at that front row, just there, there's not. I'd like to see more of um, those guys chipping in. Do you know? Uh, Tom Stewart, in fairness, can't be faulted for that. But um, yeah. Any anyway, in, in terms of um, where we're at at the minute, Munster had a fairly poor start to the season. And they have now come out of that. There were probably panic stations, especially with Graham Roundtree and a lot of criticism directed at him early on. That is changing. They're pulling themselves out of it. What does this away win in Belfast mean, Caelan, especially considering some of the big guns being rested? I'd like to jump in and say I didn't criticise Graham Roundtree. I was not one of those people. Because <laughs> I think there's just a charm about him that's incredibly likeable. But I you would understand after we lost to Cardiff and the Dragons in Wales why people would have thrown the baby out the bathwater, bathwater as they say. Um, but this this win, as I said earlier, it's huge for our season because the next five games are Lions at home, Bennett in a way, um, it's Ospreys at home, Scarlets at home and Glasgow at home. With the exception of the Scarlets, the rest of those teams are in playoff contention along with ourselves. So, these are almost differential games where you're gaining the you know the the six pointers they say in soccer like that's what these games are now for us they're huge so to get a big win to bounce into it I think like we Munster could well lose to the Lions tomorrow night so I'm not I'm not going to jump the gun too much but you could be looking at a stage where Munster carry this momentum they should be able to beat Northampton at home then you're into Six Nations and those games and realistically we could say the URC is a great league and everything which it is but realistically the Irish provinces should never fear another team during the Six Nations bar maybe the South Africans because we just have an, an incredible depth that they don't have in Scotland and Wales so this this win is huge for us you were saying how did they do it I think I think the turning point came in November and it's easy to say oh you bet South Africa and that gave them the boost it's not even that. It's just the fact that Mike Prendergast had a month with a lot of these players and molded them into what he wanted. Granted, some of them were away. You know, Calvin Nash has been one of our best players this season. He was away. Jack Crowley, likewise, he was away with Ireland. But to have that time to mold a team into what you want, and as you were discussing there about Ulster and the being very compact, that's what was said about Munster not so long ago, that they tried to play this a brace of front up game without without the cattle, without the players. Now that's changed on its head where we're trying to play more expansive games, but with players who can do it. Like I looked at that pack the other evening and okay, Niles Scanlon isn't the greatest ball carrier in the world. And I don't know how true it is, but Munster being heavily linked with a South African World Cup winning hooker. So don't know how true it is, but I've heard it a few times now chances are they won't get him just down to financial clout but like almost everyone else in that pack is a good ball carrier and if not you have someone like Scannell set piece specialist Klein just a technical workhorse specialist as well Munster have changed their game and they've 
with a bit of time and all that, it's it's starting to click a bit. And I, I've used this point a few times. Um, I, th- I think it was Billy Holland that was on RTE and he said, Munster just look like a team who are thinking as they do stuff. This is at the start of the year. Now they don't. Now Antoine Frisch has been typically French and thrown off those that are on. Mike Healy is playing some brilliant counter-attacking rugby from fullback. Calvin Nash and Shane Daly have gone from being, you know, will they get a look in to they're our first two first choice wingers. Everything has completely changed. Momentum's a huge part of it, but it, it does boil down to November and getting a month for Mike Prandy has to get a month to look back at seven games where he was chopping and changing lads and to get a chance to just really hone in on what he wanted. And listen, of course, I'm absolutely delighted to see it, but it's it was always going to take time. It did take time. They're getting there now. And if you'd said after that game in Thoma Park that this is the position we'd be in, we're possibly not saying it, but Munster have a very nice run. Munster could finish ahead of Ulster in the table if things go you know, completely pear-shaped for Ulster. You never know. Like, it's, we've seen what the Stormers did last year. So it's it's great to see the turnaround and this could be huge. And as I said, we could well lose the Lions before people get the chance to listen to the, this podcast. And I've been rambling for five minutes on something <laughs> that's just going to be turned on its head completely. So hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, if Munster go ahead of us in the in the table, we may as well just give up. Um, no, I do. <laughs> <laughs> that's harsh. <laughs> No, it is funny though how we have almost swapped in the contrast and emotions from the beginning of the season for Munster, and now we're feeling it as well. But inspirational words there from from you, Caelan, about how it is possible to get yourself out of a, a bit of a ditch like this. So um, we want to turn and be positive and talk about some of the good individual performances from both sides. So Nathan, you talk us through some of the players that impressed you, um, and try try and throw in a few Ulster players to cheer us up. Every time I read a stats pack or go on Twitter, Sean Raffles' tackle count seems to have gone up. It was 39 the other day. It was 42 yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Jesus, the man's tackling in his sleep. Like. I think he made 80 tackles in 80 minutes. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> I think I think it's the second most ever since they've started recording in, yeah. in the URC. I think yeah. one, of the, one of the Gray brothers one day against Leinster had more a couple of years yeah, ago. Yeah, Johnny Gray. Johnny. Yeah. So that's ridiculous. Uh kind of shows he's he's as advertised he was signed to chop down trees and be a bit of a nuisance at the breakdown which he, he has been well maybe more the, the tackling part uh he was i thought kieran treadwell was actually quite good in some of those goal line stands we talked about earlier there was one monster hit he put on someone uh i can't remember who it was but just folded him in half which to do from a from when you're you know on your own line and you haven't got any room to line anyone up that was impressive and you know good show of physicality from him uh, Mike Haley was mentioned he was always a threat uh, with his footwork obviously as was Jack Crowley um, I really like the 10-12 monster of Healy Crowley um, that, I think that changed the game for them that distribution when that when that when when Healy came on and you know they had two attacks really with Healy on the park and with those that second distributor uh, it worked wonders so I, I wonder if we'll see more of that with, with Carberry and Crowley in there Um but yeah, so I think yeah, Munster definitely for their attacking players in that in that second half were impressive. Um, you know, John Cooney was you know he took his goals well. I thought, um, and he played. He actually, I thought when he again when he went off, Ulster lost a little bit of something. Um, in terms of direction and just you know the calm presence, which is which is worrying because you know 
we've said before they, they need a little bit more from their decision makers they can't just be just be him for an hour or 70 minutes every, every week um but yeah some of those forwards like I mentioned earlier from Ulster were I thought were were excellent and obviously Stu McCluskey threw that ridiculous 30 meter pass for the um for the Balakoon score if he, if he if he was quiet elsewhere which that that, that also deserves highlighting because it was it was very skillful and we've kind of we said before from him every now and then we need him to be slightly less one dimensional so that was that was impressive yeah, so sort of three or four Ulster players sort of dragging the rest of the team through that. There weren't too many outside of that. Um, uh, Stockdale, unfortunately, has not been at his best. And it was uh, first few. Sometimes when you're watching that, oh, line, I think that's a, I think that's a bit harsh on Jake. I thought he did okay for a for a you know. Well, I mean, it's not his second or third game of the season, but some good moments. Some he just he looks like so he, good moments. He, he's just inches away from beating defenders. He's just he, he gets on the ball and he's running hard and he's, he's you know Stockdale is a straight line pump the legs make ground runner and he's doing that but lads are scrambling him and getting to deck with scrag tackles whereas when he's in his pump they're not touching him and yeah he's breaking that line so like he's not putting in poor quality carries but he's just not quite beating defenders like he can and has in the past I think yeah yeah, yeah. I don't think he was helped by the crowd either. I don't mm. know if he, oh when he, he dropped picked, his first three balls well you yeah. picked up on a Peter yeah yeah and then. Well, he caught one around the tenth minute, and there was a sarcastic roar went up from the home crowd. Yeah, I know. And I said to the guys were saving, you know, that's that's not going to do the the guy any any good. You know, he hasn't played a lot of rugby in the last year and a half. Yeah, I want still, yeah. Stuff, that he did. You don't like he's that. on our he's on our team, fellas. Like, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, I know, yeah. I know. Perjik, um, oh, he, he, he hasn't been his best. Like, as you say, it's funny just because it's maybe my expectations of him are so high uh, over the years, and he was legitimately one of the the best wingers in the world in his prime. And, and to go to a, a position now where realistically, if it wasn't if he wasn't Jacob, he wouldn't be getting picked. A Ulster, but they knew his potential, and he maybe has, as you, as you say, he might have lost a wee bit of pace with uh, his injury. I don't know. Maybe can, can he get that back? Is it a confidence issue? There have been a few times in recent weeks where you've gone, the old Jacob would have burnt him, or he would have, he would have uh, sat him down and <laughs> you know yeah. done what Jacob does. But um, I'm oh, sorry, Jack, were you going to say something? No, I was just going to say he 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 does he does look quick. I don't know if he's maybe lost a wee bit of weight in the last few weeks. I don't know if that's kind of possible since he got injured against Leinster. I just thought he looked a wee bit lighter. Probably helps with the ankles because I think he's a little bit... I think I think he's worried about those ankles. Maybe why he's not powering through those tackles. He's maybe thinking, I'll just take the hit. I'll take the tackle in terms of just, you know, managing his own kind of workload because he uh, took on Shane Daly a couple of times. It was pretty decent. But again, I think it's just... I think it's just patience with, with him because, you know... Uh, coming into this season, he hadn't played at all for a year. So you know, I'm a I'm a big Jacob fan, and I and I get that his uh, his mental health takes a bit of a t- took oh, took a bit of a beating uh, in, in recent seasons. So uh, we bit protective of him myself, but uh, I think he's I think he's quality, and I think he's important to what we do, and he's still probably one of the best wingers that we have no disrespect to any other ones but he just has that extra kind of um pop that uh, a lot of guys just don't uh, yeah. you know, across rugby in general yeah no absolutely and uh, i suppose in this podcast and and the red hand we we don't have goes at players because we're fans first and foremost and um i suppose out, out of uh, and especially for for us who, who are Ulster fans as well but i know with all the guys like it's out of a 
a, a desire to see the players do well and reach their potential that you do go on, oh, you didn't have his best game, which I think is fair. And um, But look, I, I want to see Jacob get back to his best, like most Ulster fans. And like part of that is giving him games. Um, some people on forums and stuff say, oh, we'll see you getting picked for now. But like, you have to give players games uh, and allow them to build up confidence. And I'd say there's probably... Uh, some word from the IRFU about giving guys who are centrally contracted minutes as well and um, to, trying to get them back up to speed. So in, in terms of um, other performances, yeah, we talked about th- those guys. There's probably not much more to say from an Ulster perspective. Raphael Henderson, uh, Tom Stewart, um, all, all had decent games. Part of the thing I, I was talking about during the week, though, is look, and as you said at the beginning, Nathan, look, it's a guys on the pitch. Ultimately, they have to put in a performance. But whenever there's that many of them who are not reaching their potential, I suppose a coach's job is to ensure that they're getting players playing at or above their potential. And there's something there's something going wrong there. There's some lack of communication. There's some maybe uh, some maybe an issue in the in the dressing room. But we don't know. It's all speculation. So. Anyway, moving on, we've reached the midpoint in the season. Briefly, if you're filling out a mid-season report card for Ulster, what grades would you give them? What comments would you be writing to send home to Ulster's parents in this analogy? <laughs> so we'll direct that to uh, Jack and Paul. Um, what sort of grade would you be giving Ulster at this stage and, and what we encourage in comments might you write in their report card? Uh, what, C-? minus? Could do better. Is that fair? Okay, like to see more variation in their play. Obviously, yeah. they've, talked, they've talked about that uh, over-reliance on them all and they have been too predictable for a number of years. Just hit, hit Big Stewart there, 12. Um, this season, Human Lurie have uh, been big disappointments just when they looked like they were going to kick on, knock the door for the national team. It just hasn't happened for them for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, yeah. But crucially, it's just failing to turn up in the big games. Yeah. Do you think that's partly Paul? Who do you think those guys who have had involvement with Ireland? It's actually it's actually seemingly to come back and been worse. Do you like, think they've yeah. taken one eye off the ball? Possibly. Yeah. That, that's a that's a point. You know, they, they did have a long summer. You know, they were in New Zealand. Maybe they just haven't recovered from that. Mm. Maybe they just haven't dealt with the the expectation level. You know what's demanded of them now? They've had a run it in the green jersey, so it's it's just one of those many conundrums that they're facing this year at Ulster. Yeah, yeah. And what do you think, Jack, in terms of grade and, and comments that you'd be writing in this report card? Well, if we, um, I actually think there are kind of two games that uh, perfectly sum up the sort of uh, sort of bipolar nature of Ulster rugby at the moment is if you take our uh, second game of the season away to the Scarlets. Now, we didn't know at the time the Scarlets were going to have an absolute stinker of a season, but uh we do occasionally go over there and struggle, but we went over there. And if anyone remembers the kind of style of play that we played in that uh, in that game, it was absolutely phenomenal. Lines of running, you know, pause in the midfield, uh, guys in what they call the boot behind, and uh, you know, Mike Lowry tearing up trees, John Cooney running support lines and cheat lines, and and all the rest of it. Stu McCluskey out in the five meter channel, bouncing Jonathan Davies, and you're just thinking where. Where did this come from? And then fast forward to, I mean, any any one of the last kind of four games, uh, like the, let me just take the Leinster game, like, although 
you know, played phenomenally well in defence that first half, which is probably what sort of put them in a position. Uh, and then that second half where it just you just let you know Leinster kind of you know walk all over you, but again, kind of tactically got it wrong. And then sale games are completely wipe off. And then the La Rochelle game is again low on confidence, and there's just no way you can kind of stop that kind of juggernaut. But the Leinster game and the and the Scarlets game kind of uh, gives you an idea of when they're playing not so great opposition, they're absolutely phenomenal. But when they are up against top top internet like top international players, then then you see that sort of um, struggle. So, on the one sense, yes, it's not it's not great that we've lost. What is it? You know, uh, four out of the last um, four out of the last five. But if you look at Sale and La Rochelle in our kind of uh, pool in Europe, you know, I think La Rochelle have lost five games as well, uh, and I believe Sale have only lost about four. So. So really, all of our losses have just come in the last few weeks. So so really, we've lost against good teams. So there's no shame in that. But in saying that, the manner in which we've been playing the last few weeks has been sort of concerning. I suppose more more concerning are the Leinster games, uh, the Leinster game in Dublin and the sort of La Rochelle capitulation that resulted in the moving of, of the stadium and all that kind of carry on. But, you know... Uh, I would I would contextualize it against some of the opposition that you're that you're playing. The first half of the season is considerably easier than the second half, or the this, the first half of this first season was considerably easier than the second half of the sort of first bit of the season. If that makes any sense? Well, well, no, it does. It does. Uh, in terms of are we punching uh, below our weight at the moment? If that makes any sense, um, we. It seemed, it seemed to be a familiar pattern of Ulster will beat everyone, morale's quite high, and then it gets to the business end of the season and we start to lose against good teams who are putting in a huge effort. Now, that has happened slightly earlier this season, but we've come up against two very good teams in Europe. As you say, uh, there is there is no shame in losing. It's the manner of those defeats, though, that I, I'd be concerned with. But I want to get the view of Nathan and Caelan now. We've, have we hit rock bottom yet? Uh, what do you predict will happen in this game against Benetton? who have quite a good home record. And um, yeah, do you guys think uh, Benetton, who you'd like to think we'd win? What should Ulster do? And do you think do you think we'll get a win? Yeah, Ulster should get a win. The last time I was on here, I said the Connacht would beat Ulster. So I'm not going to predict for Benetton to win because I'll never get invited on if I do that <laughs> twice in a row. But like... I don't want to be too doom and gloom because I think this is a, a wonderfully talented Ulster squad. But, geez, if you said at the start of December that this Benetton game, which we knew you'd have to rotate in and all that, was going to be a huge game for your season, you'd have laughed. You know, and it just shows sport is fickle sometimes and it can it can turn really quickly. Benetton are a solid team, but they've been they've almost had the, the opposite of Connacht where some of their more targetable fixtures have been at the start of the year so they had Glasgow and Edinburgh both at home and Scarlets in their first four games and they won they won all three of those and you know like their, their games they would have wanted to win especially being in the shield with the Scots but like you know Ulster have to go out they have to get a result they have to get a win and you know like they, they will I'm not like I, I do think they will but like are they going to be rotating is a question. We don't know who's available in terms of minutes and all that. So I don't know. Bonus point win. It should be the should be the hope. The form doesn't say that they will get a bonus point win, but 
they'll be hoping for it. I think there has to be a bounce back though. Like that's you know we asked of that during the Connacht game. Got it for seventy minutes, nearly threw it away. Kind of got the last day. Got it for seventy minutes. Did throw it away. So maybe it is just a case of McFarland's hair dryer treatment and just ripping them to shreds and hoping they get a big reaction because yeah. the next two weeks after that is La Rochelle and Sale. And to be honest, Ulster right now don't look like they'd win either of them, apart from the fact that they sail at home, which is you know a, a big factor because Sale don't usually win away hiding up games. But right now they don't look like they should. So they, they have to win this game. They have to get momentum. But if we're turning back around in three weeks' time, having the same conversation we had two weeks ago after the La Rochelle game and saying they have to win, they have to get momentum, then that endless cycle is it's just hurtful. And it's it's kind of like what Munster got stuck in for a few years. And you just you have to get out of it through, you know, leadership, tactically, just results, momentum, like all that, all that stuff that we keep harping on about. You know, there's you just can't afford to get stuck in the rut right now. Just yeah. can't. No, absolutely. So I, I guarantee there'll be crisis meetings and things happening, and you can only get a certain number of hair dryer moments a season. I think it was Harry Williams, uh, name drop, uh, who was on the pod, and he was saying, "Look, he's a very, a very cool guy, very calm and collected." And he said, "Like you can lose your rag occasionally, but if you start doing it every week, you've lost, you've lost everyone." Okay, so I think Benetton's is a, a very winnable game, but it's difficult that sort of chat from Dan McFarland will be a difficult one to judge. And how does he pitch that? He's not he can't say, guys, it's a game of the season because it's Benetton and we expect to beat Benetton. But uh equally it is a must-win game, as you say, Caelan. Like if you'd said this could be a crucial turning point in the season, Benetton away, people would would have would have laughed probably at the beginning of the season. But Nathan, what do you think? Uh Benetton, are they a threat? Do you, what would you do? What would you say if you're Dan McFarland? Well, I think anyone's a threat at the minute. No, I'm gonna mess him. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I, I agree with Kaylin. It depends, it just depends on the sides the two teams put out. Uh, you know, to Ulster put out a full side and say, you know, we just need to get a win and it doesn't matter that Europe's next week. Uh, you look at who they picked in the A game and you know, some rotational guy, younger guys that you'd like to play in these types of games are playing in the A game tomorrow against Ealing. Uh-huh, what, yeah. Is it you yeah. McCann's Flannery's at twelve? Mm-hmm. Um those guys were, you know, Rob Little's playing there as well. So it looks like the Ulster are going to be pretty stocked. And I think they have to be pretty stocked because they need a results and they need a performance. Um, well, they need a result more than anything. Um, so, yeah, I think they will do it. Uh, I've no idea what type of side Benetton are going to put out. Um, no idea. It's it's not as easy to predict with, with the teams that are not the, the provinces, given their schedules. Uh, but, yeah, you'd have to... I don't think we've gotten to the stage where you're not backing them... Um, in the URC games that have all been their bread and butter for the last five years. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. Benetton are, are a very good side at home and, you know, they're probably not as good as they were when they won the rainbow cup um, back in the day now, but you know, they're still a decent side and it's a good what time. What a tournament that is. I know. Yeah. Oh, iconic. <laughs> Benetton have more silverware than Ulster in recent years. Um, and Munster. Yeah, so it should and Munster. Yeah. Uh, no, I was at the most pointless tournament ever. Um, but yeah, no, I think Ulster will win. If they lose that, then it is disaster zone because they're where are they? Are they what's up first? Are they traveling to La Rochelle first or are they home to yeah, South? Yeah. First? If La you're traveling to La Rochelle off the back of a Benetton loss, God help you. And just just gonna jump in there. I for my own article during the week, I noticed 
I think they're six, seven points ahead of the Sharks with two games in front of them. So if they do lose this game, the Sharks play Ulster in Durban probably during the Six Nations and they'll have a game in hand against the Stormers as well. Like that could really, that could then pose a point where Stormers go out of sight, Leinster go out of sight, Sharks have leapfrogged Ulster. Like they can't afford to let that happen. It's a dogfight at that's the bottom half of the gone. top eight. That's a home. Then. That's a home draw in the first round of the knockout. It's gone then. That's it, and that's what happened to Munster last year. They went, they went to Glasgow, um, they lost in Glasgow. They played Leinster in a refix game two weeks before that. They lost that, and all of a sudden they slid down, and it can, and they went to South Africa and lost two games, and it it can happen that easily. Yeah. So the fact that this Benetton game is crucial, I know people will laugh at it, but it is huge. They have to win. Wow, yeah. you're hurting you're hurting my head here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I mean, want to give you, it's, you, Jack and Paul, the sort of final word here as we look ahead to Europe. So we've got those games, La Rochelle and Sale, but we've been it and ahead of that. Looking even beyond that, though, can Ulster salvage this season or? As Caelan has painted a pretty bleak picture, <laughs> could we go into free fall? What would be considered a successful or good season at this point? ERC final? Am I asking too much? Yeah, that would be successful, absolutely. That's that's what we that's what we actually ex- not maybe not ex- expect, but we we should have been in a final last year. So yeah, there's no reason that, why you know back, technically back game, game management. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's um, it's it's still a good it's still a good season at the minute. Like you're still in contention. You're still you're sitting third. You've got a game in hand. Okay, it's against a good Sharks, um, you know, outfit. You still got a potential to make Europe. You know, we go back. Everyone harps on about the old uh, the old Heineken Cup as it was, you know, and everyone thought it was magical and fantastic, and you know, it was. But it was this. Uh, it was. It was very good. Very good. But if you lost two games in that setup, absolutely no hope of you making any kind of, you know, I don't they, they didn't even they didn't even let you drop down into the uh uh challenge cup, did they? So, you know, here there's an opportunity. Ulster need to think, okay, well, we need to get at least one win. If they get one win, if they get a win against this uh, against sale at home, you're 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 not in control of your own destiny by any by any stretch of the imagination, but you can still make you can still make the last 16. You're gonna be away to probably Leinster La Rochelle or Toulouse or you know someone someone similar but again you're rolling the dice and you're hoping that you have a full deck of cards to play from in terms of the squad when it comes to the knockouts and hopefully Ulster can do that manage manage minutes and make sure that your big game players are are, are ready so maybe we could see rotation in these in these next two games and say you know what let's let's face it we're not going to win in 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 La Rochelle. We don't we don't we don't really need to risk guys in that game. It'll be probably physically brutal. Um, and do we put all our eggs in that sale game where we think, okay, let's get a bonus point win here and just hope for the best? And you know, just essentially, you know, pick a few games to to throw, which is which is what have teams have done in the past. You know, we've seen Gloucester do that, and we've seen uh, you know loads of the French teams, Montpellier. Uh, um, doing it last, uh, doing it last year, and then ended up uh, getting to a top fourteen final against uh, Castro. Did they win? They, they did, yeah, yeah, they won. Yeah. So I mean, there you go. <laughs> I mean, it's a, uh, it's a fickle old thing, but I mean, um, at the minute we're still in the hunt for two, for two, uh, two, two, two trophies. But it's it's how it's how they get back on the horse if they can. 
Imagine, imagine pulling out of the bag and winning two trophies. <laughs> I mean, it's still sport, on. It's still sport, on. Sport is mad. Is it that mad? Maybe. I don't know. Paul, what do you think? Just very briefly, next few games, if we're talking Bennett and our Shells Sharks, what do you predict? Uh, do you think we'll win? How many of those do you think we'll win? I think we'll beat Bennett on. Be close. I think we'll, they'll dig it out. I think they'll, Dan will get the response that he's hoping for. La Rochelle, um, I don't even want to go there. I think that could be <laughs> that could get messy. But like I say, as jo- as Jack was saying, it could be you could see a different uh, change in mindset when it comes to team selection. I think they will focus more on seal, yeah. go hell for leather, home to seal, yeah. and take it from there. And then if that's not enough, they've got the stormers the, the, the following week. So yeah, it's a, it's a big month. Yeah, oh, it's a huge uh, month. Yeah. It's, so I think uh, I think they'll go. Uh, put all their eggs in one basket there and it comes to sale. Yeah. Sneak in, sneak in, all my well. If they get a top four finish, they can get a good, give the URC a good rattle. If they finish outside the top four, it's going to be very, very difficult to get anywhere near, well, a semi-final, near mind final. Yeah, no, absolutely. Is anyone here part of the official delegation to La Rochelle? The, 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 I am, yeah. <laughs> very good, very good. Okay, okay, thanks so much for, for that. I thought it was great chat, great sort of group therapy for the Ulster lads and for the other guys for your insight and expertise and knowledge and for Caelan not rubbing it in too much. I really appreciate that as well. I, I really tried. <laughs> <laughs> it takes, it takes a lot of restraint. I appreciate that. So uh, thanks, guys. No problem at all, Peter. Uh, cheers. cheers, Peter. Thanks. Thank you. Cheers. All the best, guys. Bye.